son, uh, he would be what we would say back in West Virginia, the spitting image of his father. Okay, I can many times during his life just experienced uh, different things. I remember one time we were in a Shoney's restaurant and the waitress came up and, and uh, Kim and Courtney were sitting over here and John and I were sitting here and, and the waitress came up and she was like, hello, my name is such and such, I want... And then she saw me and John and she just let out an expletive and said, you guys look alike, right? And, uh, and then one time I was in an airport and I was uh, going to, uh, up to the counter and my son wasn't even with me. And I had a, but I had a picture in my wallet of Courtney and John when they were l- real little. And uh, I, I went up to the, to the lady and, and she was checking my bag or something and she said, boy, your son looks just like you. And I'm like, wow. And then I realized that it was in my wallet and that she saw my, my picture there with my son. And so, you know, at each stage of his life, uh, John can look to me and see what the future holds. And, and so all I have to say, son, is sorry. Yeah, I mean, but we want to know what image they bear and i would say to you this morning you are supposed to bear the image of god and so i've entitled this this morning's message how much do you look like god now of course i'm not talking about physical resemblance right we don't know what god looked like uh we just don't We don't know what Jesus looked like even, right? I hate to break it to you, but he probably didn't look like a long-haired Italian, which is a lot of the representations that we get. Uh, We just don't know what he looked like. And so I'm not talking about physically, but I am talking about your actions and your intentions. God had a purpose when he created this world, and he had a purpose for man. And his purpose being that he created the earth to be what we sometimes refer to as his cosmic temple. In other words, in in all the universe, it would be on this planet that God would be known and worshipped. And so when you have a, a temple, you place images of the deity in that temple. And so God did that at creation but just as a shortcut, we, we don't have images in our churches because we're to be the images of God, right? We're to be the image bearers. So God's cosmic temple is earth. It is the place where he is to be known and worshipped. And we read in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. This is Adam's genealogy. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. 
Mankind was to exercise dominion over the earth under the direction of God. They were to go out and, and inhabit the earth and reproduce and make other image bearers of God and make the earth a beautiful place for God to be worshipped, to make it a temple where God is known and worshipped. Because Revelation 4.11, when we get to the end of the book, it says of God, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see, the Lord is supposed to receive glory and honor from his creation. And as, as our creator, he has the right to direct our lives. He has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do. He has created us to be image bearers. We are to be like him. We are to love the things he loves and to hate the things that he hates. We were created to represent him well here on this earth. And so I ask you, how much do you look like God? But we as humans have a problem we're terrible image bearers. Adam fell in the garden. He did not obey God. He desired something that God didn't want him to have. And, sen and since then, every one of us born of Adam inherit this sin nature. We, we are sinners by our nature and sinners by our actions. And Paul is writing in Romans, and you'll see Romans 2.23 there on your handout. He's talking first to the, to the Jewish people. And he says, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. God gave a law to the people of Israel, and they couldn't keep it. Their desires overcame them, and they sinned. Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned. So it's not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when it says the glory of God, it's the, the privilege of being in the presence of God in the resurrection. We fall short of being glorified with God. Why is this? Well, look at Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're supposed to be representatives of God. We are supposed to be his image bearers. When someone meets us, they should get a good representation of God. But we fail at it. We do things that God calls sin and we say they're good. Or by our actions, we say they're good. And they're not good. And we misrepresent him. And so his wrath is waiting to be poured out on mankind. And you, you say, that seems kind of harsh. Hey, look, you don't like it when people misrepresent you. What feeling do you get when you're at work or school or in your neighborhood or in your family and somebody comes along and says, hey, David said this, and you never said it. And it's like the opposite of what you believe or think or said should have been done. And your ire gets rankled up, and you're like, I never said that. Beloved, the God of the universe who des deserves all glory and honor and praise and obedience is misrepresented by his image bearers. 
And we are suppressing the truth about a wonderful and good God to people. We are worthy of His wrath. We are supposed to be like God in our thoughts and deeds, but instead we have misrepresented Him, and we are under God's wrath for misrepresenting Him. And the final judgment of God's wrath is eternal judgment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 <clears throat> says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. See, those that reject God will bear the full brunt of their rejection when He comes in fire and separates them from Himself. Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, those are people that worship false gods, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Folks, God is our greatest problem. We're supposed to represent Him well on this earth, and we have not done so. And because of that, we have incurred His wrath. And we can't fix it. I mean, I was raised, I was raised on a farm before I became a programmer, and man, when, when, when I messed something up on the farm, then dad was like, well, go fix it. But I can't fix it. I can't fix my sin. I can't fix the effects of my sin even on other people as much as I'd love to. But thank God he has provided a solution to our problem, a solution to avoid his wrath. And it's Jesus Christ. We're all descended from Adam, and we inherit a sin nature, and we all sin by our own volition, by our own choice. We need a, a second Adam. We need a new Adam. And God did that in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. We see how Jesus Christ came to earth. The eternal being, Jesus, came and took on flesh says Luke 1, 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, like at creation, when God brought order to the chaos. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. God by His very nature. A child is formed not from the earth, but by the Spirit in a virgin's womb. There's a, a new creation happening here in Jesus. Jesus is the Son, and He is eternal, but His body needs to be created. This is the offspring of the woman promised in Genesis 3. And who is He? Well, if we look at Luke 3.23, it says, Jesus, when He began His ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the Son as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then it gives his, his heritage. Let's skip that down to Luke 3.38. It says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. His lineage is taken all the way back to Adam, and he's called the son of God. 
the last Adam, the new Adam, is, uh, brings hope. He is bringing a new life to this world, a new creation. Those born of the new Adam have life. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam, the new Adam, is a life-giving spirit. How do I get this life-giving spirit? Well, I have to repent and believe the gospel. I have to be born again into the family of God. So he's a new Adam, and he's a new image bearer. He is God's solution to making this earth a place where he is known and worshipped. You see there in Psalm 89, verse 27, how Christ is going to be the new Adam. He's also going to be the new ruler of the earth. And it's speaking here in Psalm 89, 27, it says, speaking of David, it says, I will make him, David, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, see, the thing of it is, David was the youngest in his family. He had like seven brothers or something like that. I mean, he's... He's the youngest kid. But God says, I want to make him the firstborn. Well, he can't make him the firstborn in his family. But what he's saying is, I'm making him the the one who inherits the family name, the ruler. He says, the highest of the kings of the earth, he says of David. He's going to make him the highest king using that firstborn language. Then look at Colossians 1.15, where it speaks about Jesus. It says, he, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn in that he's the one who inherits sovereign rule over the earth. Just like David was not the firstborn in his family, Jesus is not the first man born, but he's going to be made the highest king the world has ever known. He is the second Adam who will have dominion over all the earth as God desired of the first Adam. So we have a new Adam, a new image bearer here who bears the image of God. And he bears the image of God perfectly. He perfectly represented God everywhere he went and in everything that he did. He was obedient to God the Father. So he's the new Adam, the new image bearer, but he also is going to bear the sin of his people. Christ is God's solution to our sin problem, to our rebellion problem. He bears the sin of his people. He is the second Adam who redeemed his people through his death, burial, and resurrection. Look at Romans 5, verses 6 through 10. It's just one of my favorite passages in the Scripture because it speaks of us as weak, ungodly sinners who were enemies of God. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, in our place, for our sins. Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. There are people who have given their life for other people. And what he's saying here, he says, for scarcely, uh, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That's a righteous person there is speaking of somebody who was brought to court but was declared righteous. In our day, we would say not guilty, right? There, there, there are some people that would, would die for a person like that. 
And it says, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die, this is the person that's just a good guy. Maybe you have a great love for them and you would die in their place. That happens, Paul is saying. But verse 8 tells us about Christ's love for us. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Weak, ungodly sinners, rebels, rebels against Him, rebellious by our very nature. We weren't good people. And in that state, God showed His love for us by sending His Son to die for us. Verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, by His death, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Remember, the wrath of God was revealed against all humanity because of our misrepresentation of Him in Romans 1.18. Here we're going to be saved from the wrath of God. Verse 10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Not only is God not mad at us, right? The Bible talks about us being at peace. We, we see wars happening and, uh, between nations, right? And... We can, we can see what's going on, uh, for instance, in, in Jerusalem and in Israel with uh, Israel versus Hamas. And, and we, we, can, we can hope that they will sign a peace treaty. But even if they sign a peace treaty, that doesn't mean they're going to like one another. Right? It doesn't mean they've been reconciled and now that all's, all's forgiven. Right? But Christ's death not only brings us at peace with God, and it's not, only, it's not only a peace treaty, it says we've been reconciled. We're actually considered family members. We've been adopted into the family of God. What a Savior. What a God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in, in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He perfectly represented God. Perfectly. He has the righteousness of God. We don't. We have a sinful nature. We have sins that need to be paid for. And so Christ died for our sins so that if we repent of our sin and trust Christ as our Savior, God joins us to Him. And our sins are paid for by His death. And His righteousness becomes ours. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hebrews 1.3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ died for us. Even though He was perfectly made in the image of God, He reflected God perfectly. But we don't. We're still sinners who need to be saved, right? I like car restoration shows. I don't know if you've ever watched any of those. They find these old rust buckets, you know, and, and they'll pay more than I would ever pay for that car. But that's because they know how to restore them, right? And so they'll take them and then they, they do their work and they buy parts and they replace parts. And suddenly the car that didn't look like it was supposed to 
It didn't bear the image of its original creation. Now, they've restored it to where it is, like it was. A complete restoration. But some of those cars, they buy them and they get them back to the shop and they start going through them and they're just like, no, no, it's too far gone. It's only good for parts. You may be here this morning, you say, Pastor, what you're telling me about Jesus Christ saving me, you don't know how bad I am. I'm like that car that's just good for parts. I cannot be salvaged. Let me say to you this morning, there is no one beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. We've messed up God's image so badly but not hopelessly. It takes resurrection power to restore the image of God in man. And Christ is God's solution, not only by redeeming us from our sin, but also by beginning the work of restoring God's image in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he not only saves us when we're weak, ungodly sinners who are enemies of God, he saves us when we place our faith in him, but then he begins making us into the image of himself. He begins that restoration process. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him, he's speaking about in Christ. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He goes on in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 And he tells us how we are to become more like Christ. He says, to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're to take off these old sinful clothes that we've put on and start walking in a different way, in the way of righteousness created after the likeness of God. We're to be image bearers. Once we're saved, we're to stop being deceivers about God and be image bearers of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 speaks about this. It says, And we all with an unveiled face, in other words, not having a veil like a bride would, which obfuscates everything. And I can understand, looking at some of you men, I can understand why your bride wore a veil on her wedding day kidding just kidding but we all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is the spirit god is making us into the image of his son he begins this process once he saves us and so the david harris that you see standing before you today is not the David Harris that God had saved. He's learned a lot about God, and he's, he's much more like Jesus now than he was. I'm still not there, though. Don't look to me to be perfect. Look to Christ, right? But we should be in that process, repenting of our sin, becoming more like Jesus. God makes us represent us represent him well on this earth. Now, how does he do it? He gives us the spirit, which begins to form us into the image of his son. How, how does he make us more into the image of his son? Well, look at Romans 8, 28 and 29. 
It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So what's the good and what's his purpose? Well, he gives it to us in 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, the one who rules with sovereign authority over his brethren, the inheritor. God is using the circumstances of your life to make you more into the image of Jesus. You say, Pastor, I'm going through some pretty hard things. Yep. Being like Jesus requires us to go through hard things. God didn't save us to a life of comfort and ease. He called us to a life of love and service of other people. And he's going to break us of our desires for ungodly things, and he's going to give us a desire for the things that he loves. Beloved, Christ is God's solution to his wrath against our sin of misrepresenting him. We were supposed to bear the image of God, but we failed. But Christ is the new Adam, the exact image of God, who redeemed us from our sin. He gave us his righteousness, and now he rules over us as we are being changed into his image. And so Christ has begun this process of making us into his image, but he doesn't, that's, that's not just the end. He's going he's to bring us to restored perfection because of the death burial and resurrection of christ one day believers will be resurrected and changed into perfect image bearers because his work guarantees the completion of the restoration of god's image in us and the many of these car restoration shows you know they they bring the the owner in and they've got the garage door closed and then they open the garage door and the car rolls out and they're just like, oh, right? Well, that moment for us is when God resurrects our dead bodies. Then we will bear the image of God perfectly. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Several of these passages come from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that would be Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We, just, we don't know what we're going to look like in the resurrection, but we do know we'll look like him. Back to 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. They'll be resurrected if they're in Christ, if they have Christ as their father. Oh, have you been born again? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ as your Savior? I urge you to do so today. Look at 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five through 48. <clears throat> It says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. You can't just say, I've always been a Christian. Like, we're not born saved. 
We need to be born again. Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. We'll be given a spiritual body, an enduring body. Philippians 3.21 says that Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to be subject of all things to himself. One day the restoration project will be finished and we will be completely in the image of Christ our King. To restore the image of God in man requires resurrection power. You've heard the gospel today. What is your response? Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation is available to you today, but you must either accept it or reject it. Jesus said in Mark 115, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There's no other way of salvation. There are not many ways to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to have the image of God restored in your life. Will you repent of your sins and place your faith in King Jesus today? He is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Submit your life to him. Will you repent of your sins and offer Christ's sacrifice up to God for your sins? Will you come under his lordship and let him restore God's image in you? How much do you look like God? Let Jesus, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, let Jesus begin that process in you today. And for those of you who are Christians, how's it going? Where are you at in the restoration process? God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to be a repentant people. When we're confronted with sin in our lives, we repent of it. We put it away and we get back on the path of following Jesus. And it's why we say that we're following Jesus together here. He's given us the church to help us to follow Christ. How's that going? As we prepare for to take communion this morning, communion celebrates oneness with Christ, but also oneness with Christ's body. Is there any sin? Examine yourself. Is there a sin that you know of that you're committing that you have held on to and you need to repent of? I urge you to do so right now before we take communion. Put off the old man. Put on the new, made in the image and likeness of Christ. And let's follow Jesus together. I know I won't be perfect when I get to heaven, but I, I'd like to get to where there's just a couple changes need to be made. Right? It's like you've represented me well. Let's honor our King today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And for us Christians, it is all of Christ. <laughs> he came to earth as the new Adam. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died a death that he didn't deserve so that his death becomes effectual for us. And Lord, we 
thank you for that. We thank you for saving us and then beginning this process of making us into your image to be your representatives. Father, we as Christians ask you to have your way in our life. Show us where we fall short and empower us to to do better by your grace. And then, Father, there are those perhaps here this morning who have never repented of their sins and ask you to forgive them because of what Christ did for you, for them. I pray, Father, that you'll save them this morning. Open their eyes. Help them to see their sin, how they've misrepresented you, and how they need a Savior. And I pray that you'll open their eyes to see Christ as the solution to avoid your wrath. I pray that they will repent and follow Christ, beginning even with following Him in believers' baptism, as we will see some of our folks do this morning. Thank you for them. Thank you for their decision to follow Jesus, to die to themselves and to live for you. Pray that we will be an encouragement and a strength and a strengthening to them as they walk and follow after Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.